you would, take your Bible and turn with me today, please, to the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And Song of Solomon, chapter 4, we're going to read beginning in verse number 1 today, and then all the way into chapter 5 and verse number 1. A lot of ground to cover this morning. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse number 1. The book of the Song of Solomon is, is an ancient book of just really steamy, romantic poetry. And it's designed to reveal us God's plan for marriage and romance and sex and all of that stuff that makes life so fun. And we have been studying the book of Song of Solomon for the past few weeks, and, and we will look into the Word here today and then, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. And we've been preaching about dating and romance and marriage and sexuality. It's always fascinating after you preach a sermon like that, who lays out a church the next Sunday? Just... You know, but I hope that since I hope that since Monday was Valentine's Day, maybe you've been able to put some of this into some practical use. But I want to talk to our married couples today, or maybe those of you that are on the fast train to marriage, those of you that know, hey, I am with the one that I'm going to be with. This is the spouse, the husband or the wife God has given me. And I want you to think about your love story. It's amazing how God writes our love stories for us, isn't it? Even if you're here today and, you know, you've lost your spouse, you can look back and you can see the hand of God putting you together. And sometimes God does that in just remarkable ways. I, I know a couple, both of them, they, they grew up about 10 minutes apart from each other outside of Atlanta and ended up, both of them ended up going to separate colleges in Georgia. They'd never met, went to separate colleges in Georgia and involved in campus, the same campus Christian ministry. Both of them come to know the Lord at different colleges. Both of them start to serve in that campus ministry, and they get sent by that ministry to work at a summer camp in Colorado, and there they meet. And now they're married, serving the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? Amy and I met each other at Domino's Pizza. And, and we hated each other for the first six months that we knew each other. But God has a way of just making that story come together and, and working it all out. And so think about your story. And what I want to ask you today is this. If your love story was a work of literature, what kind of literature would your love story be? Because for some of y'all, man, it's so magical that even Hollywood couldn't write it. For some of you, it would take Stephen King to write it. You know, it's just a different ballgame altogether. Um, what, would, what kind of literature would it be? Would it be a work of fiction? Would you say, man, my love story, it is not perfect, but it's just been, been too good to be true. For others of you, you look at it and you think, well, it's about as exciting as the volume of tax law. It's just not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of fun. Or it may feel like the sports page, you know, defensive struggle leads to no scoring affairs. Just not, not a whole lot of sparks in your relationships. And sometimes in our love stories that happens, doesn't it? We fall in love, we get married, and, and we think, man, we are going to be the couple that's different from our parents. We are going to keep the magic alive. The honeymoon's not going to end. And then you have a couple kids and you get a stressful job and you've got a mortgage and the junk just starts to pile up. And before you know it, you're just kind of two roommates living together, growing old together. But it seems like all that excitement is gone and all that excitement is missing. Some of you are there now, aren't you? And some of you maybe have, have inflicted a lot of wounds and a lot of hurts in one, in one another in your marriage over the years. And you think, man, I'd like to be able to recapture what we had at the first because back then, when we were just kids, you know, it didn't seem like it was going to go the direction that it went. I didn't know there was going to be a chapter where we threatened to divorce one another every month. 
I didn't know there was going to be chapters where there was so much stress, there was so much insecurity and so much hurt. I didn't see those chapters coming. How can we be sure that you know, things turn around and we have the right ending for our love story? Well, today as we read Song of Solomon, that's what I want to show you. I want to show you how I think from this book you can learn how to write, with the Lord's help, the right ending for your love story. And really, it's not that complicated. Really, the way to write the happy ending that you want in your love story is to focus on developing the other character. That's how you do it. You get your eyes off of you and off of your problems, and you look to how you can love them and serve them. That's what we're going to see in Song of Solomon chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Let's read this together. The husband speaking to his wife. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the tower of David building rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them... Shields of warriors, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinar and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. With all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes. With all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. She responds, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. He says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. Amen. Well, <laughs> what are you going to say about Song of Solomon 4? Maybe we should just take a deep breath after reading that and collect ourselves. Um, if you don't have anything else to be thankful for today, you should be thankful that you did not have to read that in front of 150 Baptists. <laughs> Amen. But when we do read this, we would, we would almost want to be quick to ask, why in the world did God put that in the Bible? Why is this here? Well, I think it's because this is a love story. And most everybody that has ever lived in the world is going to have some kind of a love story. Whether it has a happy ending or a tragic ending, whatever the details of it might be, 
Almost everybody is going to experience the kind of things that this couple experienced in the book of the Song of Solomon. And because God knew that we were people that fall in love and get married and sleep together and fight together and raise kids together and get divorced and get remarried and all of this stuff, God says, I need to give these people some wisdom so that they will know how to actually live together. I want to help these people experience the happy ending that they're all signing up for. And so we have this couple in Song of Solomon that I take to be a very real couple that are living out in their day and in their own expressions culturally and what it means to fall in love and to live in love and to stay in love and to work hard on cultivating a healthy marriage. I think that they are living out the biblical idea of marriage expressed in Genesis chapter 2 where God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the Garden of Eden together and the Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. It's not just that they didn't have any clothes on, even though they didn't, but that they were totally open, totally seen, and yet totally loved. They were vulnerable, they were exposed, and they were together as one in this amazing picture of intimacy. And when you read Song of Solomon chapter 4, you get the idea that this couple, buddy, they're naked. And they sure ain't ashamed. So how do you, how do you get this kind of relationship? It takes more than just taking your clothes off. How do, you, how do you have this kind of love affair that lasts? A love that is, according to Song of Solomon chapter 8 and verse number 6, a love that is strong as death. How do you have that kind of love over the long haul? Well, that's what the book of Song of Solomon is all about. And there are real clues in this passage that we've read today that help us, I think, figure that out. Because really... As much as we might love love, and as much as we might like to think like the Beatles, all you need is love, love is hard. And sometimes, like Nazareth said, love stinks. I mean, it's just tough. How do you, how do, you do this day in, day out, practically? How, how do you live with her? How do you live with him? How do you do this? Well, it's not really all that complicated in the book of the Song of Solomon. Because what you see in this couple is a husband and a wife whose eyes are not on themselves, but whose eyes are on each other. He has eyes for her, and she has eyes for him. And they are working to develop the other character in the love story. And they say that with the particular expression that they will use throughout this book, and throughout this chapter especially, where they talk about their, their romance being like a garden. And it's not talking so much about a vegetable garden as it is talking about like a flower garden. And since this is maybe about Solomon, or at least in his purview, this is you know a king's royal garden. But any kind of garden takes work, don't it? Uh, you, you, you don't garden just in a mood, right? It don't happen on a whim. You have to pull weeds. You have to kill bugs. You have to organize. You have to think ahead. And you have to plan. And you have to sweat. And you have to work. And they say, our romance is like a garden that is being cultivated. We have put the time in, and so we get to enjoy the fruit. We get to, to enjoy the beauty. We get to enjoy the excitement. So how do you cultivate a garden? How do you cultivate his garden? That's what we're going to talk about in this passage of Scripture. Because a good marriage doesn't just happen. A good marriage is a gift from God, but it's not just dropped in your lap. A good marriage is grown. A good marriage is cultivated. So how do, you, how do you cultivate her? Well, that's where we're going to start. How do you live with her? Guys, you need an answer to that, don't you? 
because you've been making that joke. You've been making that joke for 30 years. You can't live with her. You can't kill her. How do you live with her? How, how do you live with her? Ladies, we don't really say that. That's not. How do, you, how do you cultivate her? Because some of you guys maybe have been looking through the book of the Song of Solomon. As we've studied over the past few weeks and you thought, man, my lady don't talk like that. She, my lady don't do that. She don't say that kind of stuff. It's not. How do you, how do you well, you know, maybe she don't. Fair enough, guys. Maybe she don't. I'm going to preach to her in a little bit. Maybe she don't do this kind of stuff. But it could be that you're not the kind of man that's in Song of Solomon. Now, I'm not just saying that your body's not like polished ivory. You know, that's what she said about him. That may help. But have you worked to cultivate your marriage? Have you worked to develop her? Have you worked to invest in her? You can see right away, this guy knows his stuff. The very first thing he says to this woman is, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. And that is huge in Song of Solomon chapter 4. Because in the context of this passage, most likely this occurs on their wedding night. So they've, they've eaten the cake. They've thrown the bouquet. Now they're back in the honeymoon suite. And he's talking to her. Now that they are officially husband and wife. And guys, get this principle. Before he makes love to her body, he makes love to her ears. He talks to her. He talks about her physical beauty. He describes her to herself. Why? Because he understands that as a woman, she needed to hear this regularly. That she was beautiful. That she was incredible. That she was the only woman who would ever, ever occupy his mind. The only woman who would ever take his breath away. In fact, at one point, he says that like, you know, one glance from your eyes about did me in. He's like, I can't even have you look at me right now. He's good. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, you don't talk to your wife this way. You just don't. I know you don't because I don't. We talk about all kinds of random nonsense and random junk, but man, we don't do this, do we? Maybe you should try. Because, men, your words have the power to cultivate more than you understand in her. They have the power to cultivate joy or the power to bring sadness. Your words have the power to bring harmony or the power to bring division. Your words in your marriage, men, have the power of life and death. And what he does here is incredible because as he describes her beauty, he's not just talking to himself. He's talking to her. In fact, the very first word of the passage is the word behold. You know what the word behold is? The word behold is an invitation to come and see. You know what he's doing in Song of Solomon chapter 4? He's saying, honey, I want you to see what I see. I want you to see you through my eyes. I want to invite you in to my perspective. He's offering to be the mirror that she looks into to see her real value and to see her real beauty and to see her real worth. That's important if you're going to live with a woman well. Because in ways you probably don't understand, in ways she probably don't fully understand, in ways that maybe none of us completely understand, her understanding and appreciation of her beauty and femininity That is essential to her freedom in your marriage. 
And I think maybe there's a biblical reason for it. I don't know. I can't prove this. But my theory is that when the first woman was made from Adam's rib, the first moment of any woman's existence was when she was standing naked before a naked, naked man. And the very first thing that he did was start quoting poetry to her. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. He says to her, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Her name will be called Woman, for she will be the mother of all living. Now, I know that doesn't sound very romantic, but you know maybe in the Garden of Eden it was. And so what's happening is... That there's something, I think, in the mind of a woman that says my value, my, my, my worth comes from my ability to be beautiful. But like this woman in Song of Solomon, going back to the chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, this woman probably didn't feel very beautiful. She was probably poor. She probably worked outside, was tanned, was probably not, uh, probably not heavy, which would have been attractive in their society. I told you that last week. But now he's going out of his way in specific detail to talk about how beautiful that she is. Ladies, or excuse me, men, your wife is assaulted constantly by thoughts in her mind and messages from culture that she is not beautiful. Constantly. Constantly taught that she's not beautiful. Constantly taught that she's not good enough because she doesn't look like an airbrushed celebrity on a magazine cover. Constantly taught that She's in competition and a competition that she cannot win. And what God has given you the privilege of doing is he has given you the privilege of affirming her beauty to her. And she needs to hear that from you guys. She needs to hear that from you. Now, are you doing that? Are you really doing that? You can tell you, say, well, Brother Jesse, I told her she was beautiful the day we got married. Okay, well, let's just flip that around. What if she said, well, I slept with him the night we got married. And if I change my mind, I'll let him know. Do you want to live like a wise man or do you want to live like an idiot? Now, your wife needs to know from you that she's beautiful. And even if she feels like she's not a perfect 10, and she's probably not a perfect 10 because if she was, she wouldn't have married you. She could have done better. All right? She needs to hear from you. Now, so, so what does he say? Okay, so Brother Jesse, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to do this. Some of y'all look like you're having teeth pulled right now. <laughs> what, does, what does he say? Well, I'm going to be honest with you in Song of Solomon chapter number. I see some of my deacons whispering in their wives' ear right now. Praise God, brother. <laughs> Go ahead now. Yes, sir. What does he say? Well, a lot of it doesn't translate. A lot of it doesn't translate here. He says to her, verse number one, your hair is like a flock of goats coming down the slopes of Gilead. Don't tell your wife, honey, your head looks like it's been run over by a flock of goats. Don't do that. <laughs> Verse 2, your, your teeth are like these, these shorn ewes. None of them are missing. What he's saying is, baby, you got all your teeth. And you, you laugh at that. Laugh at, go ahead and laugh at that. But 3,000 years ago in the ancient world, nobody had all their teeth. And, and for him to see a woman that actually had a beautiful smile, like he just he didn't know what to do with it. I had no idea. Like, look, it's just like all these sheep that are being washed. They're all white and they're all in place. And this is, you know, this is great. But what he does, what he does here, try to keep things PG, what he does is he starts with her eyes and he starts at her head and he works his way south, talking about her body. He takes his time. He's not pawing and clawing at her, but he's enjoying her body and complimenting her. And guys, she knows the difference. He, he describes all throughout the book of the Song of Solomon, they, they talk about their love is wine and 
her body is wine. And wine is supposed to be sipped. Wine is supposed to be savored. And your wife needs to be sipped and savored. She doesn't need to be eaten like a Big Mac in the drive-thru. Just trying to help. He describes this as a garden of love. It takes time and investment, foresight to cultivate order and beauty in a garden. And it requires that from you men if you're going to live well and live happily with your wife. Because here's the thing that she's probably tried to tell you and you've never heard. She knows what's important to you. She knows. Because of where you spend your time and where you focus your attention, where you put your effort. She knows what's important to you. And if you know exactly, exactly which type of crappy bait is going to work when it's 63 degrees outside in the spring and you've got a northwestern wind blowing and you know exactly who Jordan Mechie's 10th grade calculus teacher is and you don't have any idea of what her favorite kind of flowers are, boys, you need to go water your garden. Why? Because God has given you if she's a believer, and I hope she is, God has given you one of his daughters and put her in your hands. And he has said, you get to cultivate her. You get to let her wake up every day knowing that she is loved and taken care of and that she's matters and that she's not an inconvenience and she's not a distraction and she's not just a piece of meat to be used, but she is beautiful and she is valued. So what I do before we go on and talk to her, I thought we'd just flip through the book of Song of Solomon. I'll give you guys some pointers, just some real practical. I was going to give you 10 commandments for how to cultivate your wife, but then I realized, no, I'm talking to me, and so I'm going to pare it down to five commandments. <laughs> that still may be too much, but I think this will help us, guys. Chapter 1, verse number 4, she says, draw me after you. Number one, your wife wants to be pursued. She wants to be pursued. She wants to be hunted. She wants you to commit to figuring out what makes her tick, figuring out what makes her happy. She wants to know that she is worth the chase. Have you ever wondered, men, why you like to hunt? You were made to hunt. But there are better things in, that, that, that to pursue than just deer and fish. Pursue your wife. Pursue your wife. She wants to be pursued. Chapter 1, verse number 7. Second, she wants to be together. Chapter 1 and verse number 7. She wants to be with her man. And she wants that time that you are together to matter. In the different seasons of marriage... This is more difficult to pull off than it is at other times. But men, when she speaks, she wants your undivided attention. She wants to know that what she has to say matters. She wants to be heard. In fact, in the book of the Song of Solomon, she does two-thirds of the speaking. There's a joke in that somewhere, but she wants to make sure that she is heard and that you are listening to her. Chapter 2 and verse number 6 she says this, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraced me. Here's the third commandment. She wants to be held. She wants to be held. Men handle their wives the way offensive linemen try to recover a fumble. 
You ever see them do that, these 300-pound guys, you know? And they think, man, here's my opportunity. I'm going to pick the ball up, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to be the hero. Guys, just fall on her and hold her. That's what she wants. Some of y'all act like y'all ever been married. Here's the fourth commandment. <laughs> Chapter 2 and verse number 13. She's talking to him. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. She wants him to take some initiative. She wants you to take some initiative. Guys, I'm going to give you a, a, a life hack that's going to open your mind. will change your life. Here it is. She does care where you eat lunch today. She does. She wants you to know where she wants to eat without her having to tell you where she wants to eat because you know her so well and love her so deeply that you know exactly what she wants without her having told you. And if you don't know, then it is an indictment not only upon you, but your whole relationship. Say, so, well, Brother Jesse, how am I supposed to overcome that? What are you guarding, buddies? I can tell you. Chapter 6 and verse number 9, the fifth commandment is, she wants to feel special. He, he says this, he says to her, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. This guy says, there ain't nobody like my woman. There ain't nobody like her. Guys, she needs to hear that from you. Because what God has done for you in giving you a wife, if you'll stop and really think about it, I never had, honestly, I never had thought about this the other day until the other day I was filling out my Valentine's Day card for Amy. I realized that my whole life is that woman. It's all her. Because of the life we have together, the memories we've made, the future we have by the grace of God, and the children we brought into this world, it's all her. God gave you a wife. And the Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And in giving you a wife, God has given you your whole life, guys. And that woman deserves to be pursued. That woman deserves to be loved. That woman deserves to be treated like the unique image bearer and gift of God that she is. So, how do you live with him? Well, ladies, I want to try and help you from Song of Solomon. But I want to be candid. I've never had to do it. I've never had to be married to a man. I won't, by the grace of God, because God's good to me. But some of you are walking through that journey. Ladies, I want to tell you this today. I want to tell you this. It's really not complicated. But you're not going to like it. First, I'll point out to you that here in chapter 4, she responds to his effort. He talks and talks and talks. Man, he's talking about goats and he's talking about Lebanon and he's talking about frankincense and all this kind of stuff. He talks and talks and talks, describes her body. Come see your body through my eyes. You are beautiful. Don't look at me. I can't stand it. All this kind of stuff. And then she just says one sentence at the end of the chapter. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choicest fruits. In other words, she responds to his initiation. She responds to his romance. And they come together and consummate their marriage. She responds to his effort. Ladies, respond to your husband's effort. In the bedroom, out of the bedroom. If he's trying, recognize that he's trying. And I'll tell you this about the Song of Solomon. There are some places where he says some stuff. And I think, dude, you tried. Just, just Here's an example. Song of Solomon 7, 7 and 8. 
Here's what he says to her. Now, guys, I want you to imagine saying this to your wife. Song of Solomon 7, 7, and 8. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples. Dude, that's so lame. That's so, that's so bad. Like if you say that to your wife, she will laugh in your face. And she should laugh in your face. But this woman responds. I think even when it's not great, she responds. Ladies, have you set such a bar of, of expectation for your husband that he never could meet it? That no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much effort he puts in, no matter how much time and attention and devotion he gives, no matter how much he tries to be romantic, even if, you know, it's, it's palm trees and all that stuff. Uh, does he see any light at the end of the tunnel from that? Do you respond to that positively? Ladies, some of you don't realize it, but you are uncomplimentable. I don't even think that's a word, but you know exactly what I'm saying, right? Every man here knows what I'm saying about. Some of y'all had it happen this morning. Got up, she got dressed for church, got the makeup all done, the dress all on, the whole thing, everything ready. And you walked out the door and said, honey, you look beautiful today. And immediately, ladies, you responded with, I don't look beautiful, I got too much weight. And, that, 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 right? and he feels like every single time he tries, just smack him away. Smack him away. And he feels defeated and he feels destroyed. This woman here in Song of Solomon, forgive me for being honest, she's flirtatious. She is playful. She is available. She initiates their sexual encounters about as much as he does. She's open about her fantasies with him. And it's just some of the stuff that you just wouldn't believe. But the point is that this is a picture of a wise woman in Song of Solomon. For most of us, when we think about what a wise and a godly and a biblical woman is, we immediately talk about a Proverbs 31 woman, as well we should. It would do well for you to think about a Song of Solomon 4 woman, too. I didn't think that would go over well. <laughs> this woman knows how to live with her man. One of the things that she knows clearly from the book of Song of Solomon is... This truth that is true about your husband today, I guarantee it's true about your husband. You probably heard growing up from your mother that the way to a man's heart was through his stomach. Now, I'm not going to diss your mama, and I'm glad she told you that because, hey, we all like to eat. No man grows up thinking, man, I hope I marry some woman that can't cook. I just want to have Hot Pockets and Bagel Bites for the next 50 years. Nobody, you know, nobody says that. But your mama was wrong. She's wrong. The way to your man's heart is not through his stomach. The way to your man's heart is through his eyes. He makes love to her ears and she makes love to his eyes. That's why this works so well in the book of Song of Solomon. Your husband is a visual creature. He's a visual creature. Before Adam starts speaking poetry to Eve, before they come together as the first husband and wife, he saw her. His eyes opened from general anesthesia after the Lord had put him through surgery to remove a rib. And that was it. He saw her and he was gone. And there's something deep inside of your husband that when your intimate life and your romantic life and your sexual life 
is healthy and regular and satisfying to him, he is going to revert back into that pre-fall feeling that Adam must have had. You know, Adam had dominion over all of creation. Remember how God sent all the animals to Adam and Adam got to name them? Call you giraffe. That's a zebra. It's going to be a cuttlefish, right? And Adam walked out every morning in his house. and Everything he touched was his to do with as he pleased. He looked out over his domain that God had given him. And it was his. And when your husband feels like he has a wife that is giving and flirtatious and invested in the physical aspects of marriage, he's going to get up every day feeling just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's going to feel like he lives in a Genesis 2 reality, even though it's a Genesis chapter 3 world. And unfortunately, our marriages suffer and struggle and hurt because we just ignore this basic reality. But ladies, I want to tell you this today. The problem in your marriage is not that you are married to a man. That's not the problem. So often, that's the way we act. Well, if we could just get him to be more like a woman... You don't want him to be more like a woman. You want him to be the man God made him to be. And you, ladies, you want to be desired. You want to be hunted. You want to be pursued. He wants to pursue. He's, he can't help it. That's why he spends all that money on dough urine and different patterns of camouflage and different tree stands and this rifle that does that and this scope that on 12 times. That's why. He's wired up to pursue and what we do when we, when we act like there's something wrong with that is we just destroy the very foundations of marriage. In Song of Solomon chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, he will talk about their physical intimacy. And he will compare it to wheat and he will compare it to wine. That's the stuff of life for these people. You've got to have wheat to eat. You've got to have wine to survive in their day because they used wine to purify their water. This was, you know, this was the stuff of life for him. Do you realize that sexual intimacy is the stuff of life for your husband? Say, well, he shouldn't be that way. Well, he is that way. God made him that way. Can it be sinful? Can it be abused? Of course. Of course. But God has made him that way. And a wise woman, like the woman in Song of Solomon, she knows how to live with a man like that. So much so that he will actually make this statement in verse number 15 of chapter 4. He says that his wife is like a well of living water. Where have you ever heard that expression before? That's what Jesus said to the woman in Samaria in John chapter number 4. He's saying to this woman, you sustain me. You keep me going. You give me life. You bring me joy. And so I would encourage you ladies, really, really, to think about this part of your marriage specifically. As simply as I can, if things are, are dry, water the garden. If things are grown cold, light the fire. It doesn't have to be a battleground. It can be a playground like it is for this couple. What happens sometimes for us as married couples is when we encounter these biblical truths about marriage is we start to blame. Well, I tell you what. If he had talked to me like this man talked to me in Song of Solomon 4, if he'd give me a little poetry, buy me some flowers, if he'd wash the dishes, if he'd change a diaper every now and then, it might be more like Song of Solomon. But he's so trifling, useless, and lazy. If she'd lose 15 pounds, then, buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, it might be a little more romance, might not spend so much time in that tree stand, and we start to blame. We start to say, well, it's his fault, it's her fault. It's, it, it, we make excuses and all this kind of thing. Here's some counsel for you today. 
Here's some counsel for you. If the garden is dry, water the grass. Well, I'm telling you what she said to me 10 years ago. He told me, and I never have gotten water the grass. Water the grass, pull the weeds, kill the bugs, and start enjoying your marriage. Instead of letting every issue descend into a turf war, treat your marriage like a garden to be cultivated. Invest in it and spend time on it. This woman speaks passionately to this man. Passionately to this man. If I went into some of the things she tells this man here, y'all would fire me tomorrow. I'm just telling you, you would. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe this kind of stuff's in the Bible. You just wouldn't believe it. But she not only speaks passionately to him, I think you should know from this passage of Scripture that she speaks positively to him and about him. She brags on the house that he's built. She talks about his appearance and his character to her friends when he's not around. She doesn't see her husband as an opponent. He's not a, a sparring partner to go fight with. He's a dancing partner to move together with. So it makes him want to come back home and be with her. Ladies, it's a shame. It's a real shame if he gets a warmer welcome from the dog than he does from you when he gets home. And vice versa, guys. It's true for you too. In some kind of supernatural way that the Bible doesn't explain to us, in ways that men, biological males, are never going to understand, I think ways maybe that women don't quite know but probably suspect, maybe, Ladies, I just want you to know, you have, the, you have your hand on the thermostat in your home. And I'm not talking about the one mounted on the wall. I'm talking about the one that sets the actual temperature in your home. You have your hand on that thermostat. And choosing to be kind and choosing to be forgiving and choosing to be patient and choosing to realize, okay, I'm living with a sinful man. And so I'm going to have to show a whole lot of grace. Cutting remarks do not help your husband. Anger does not help him. Bitterness does not help him. Tearing it down does not help him. What happened in your love story? Where we just, just got mean. Guys, what happened where it just became easier to spend time apart than it did spend time together? What happened to where sex became a chore? And what happened to where attractiveness you know, really wasn't important and winning was more important than harmony? What happened to watering the garden? The Song of Solomon calls us to water the garden, not to cast blame, but to invest, to being committed to making the other person better. Men, some of you live in a tough marriage. You know it. You feel it. Reading Song of Solomon. And right now you're afraid to blink because you know I'm talking to you. You live in a hard marriage with a woman that does not treat you well. And she is not a wise woman according to Scripture and according to the Song of Solomon. She does not pursue a godly attitude. She is nasty to you. She does not pursue physical intimacy. And she smacks you away when you try to. You read Song of Solomon and you think, man, what hope is there for me? Because I'm in a tough situation. Guys, I'll tell you this. That is a tough situation. It's difficult. It's hard. But God is good. And you've got Jesus. And he really is enough. He really is enough. And he will help you sustain patience, grace, and faithfulness. Ladies, some of you live in a hard marriage. You, you know, hearing Song of Solomon chapter 4, that apart from a real miracle, you're never going to have a man talk to you this way. And that's not fair. 
It's not right. And it's hard. But you do have a Savior who loves you completely. Your husband may not talk about you this way and compliment you and shower you with affection. He may even throw in your face your worst mistakes and your biggest failures and, and, your, and, your, and your most unfortunate features or whatever. But you have a Savior who knows everything about you. Good, bad, and ugly. And He has chosen to love you. He has chosen to love you. And not only love you, not only to the extent of saying, hey, I'll give you my life, but He actually did lay down His life to make you His own. For most of us today, though, we have just regular marriages, don't we? There's good, there's bad, there's up, there's down, there's hot and cold and all the rest of it. What do we do? What do we do? So I, I, I get the water of the garden metaphor, Brother Jesse, but I just don't feel like I got any water in the tank. The only way that you are going to have anything with which to give to your spouse that is nourishing and real and spiritual and helpful is when you are constantly yourself around the Lord Jesus and you are letting Him minister to you and grow you and cultivate you and then your love for her, your love for Him is going to grow out of what He's doing in you. That's the only way it's ever going to happen. That's why Paul says to husbands, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You've got to know how he loves you. You've got to understand your relationship with him. It has to all be grounded there first. Then you have something to give her that's going to nourish her. You have something to give him to nourish him, to cultivate the garden. So some of y'all just need to go water the grass, don't you? You need to go pull some weeds this afternoon. And you need to invest some forethought and some time thinking, how can I really... How can I really just knock her socks off with romance? Guys, go easy with it, okay? Some of y'all bring, bring home a couple dozen red roses. She'd die of a heart attack. It's not what we're after. I don't want to preach a funeral this week, okay? I'm talking about easing into this. Ease into it. Water your grass. Pull your weeds. And let your marriage flourish, flourish for the glory of God. Let's stand together today. I feel like we maybe should have a Dean Martin song for the invitation, but <laughs> as much as we might laugh about some of these things in Song of Solomon, and, and as much as they may seem totally foreign to us, and maybe even a little bit awkward to talk about, these are truths that we need. Because ladies, you are going to spend maybe 50 years living with a man. You need Jesus for that. Guys, you're going to spend... 50 years living with a woman, best case scenario. You need the Lord's help for that. We're not perfect. We don't have it figured out. We need grace. And our spouses deserve our best for us to invest and cultivate and love them the way they need to be loved. And so maybe some of you need to come today and say, Lord, help me. Help me to find the grace and the strength and the wherewithal to start watering and cultivating my garden. Some of you need to apologize to your husband. You need to apologize to your wife for years of damage, years of neglect, years of abuse that have occurred in your garden. You've got a lot of dry patches. You've got a lot of weeds. And it's on you when you see it to start fixing it.